Welcome to the Communication 24-7 podcast, where we communicate about how we communicate. I'm your host, Jennifer Furlong. So today we're having another live stream, so that means it must be un- an unscripted edition of the podcast. It's really exciting for me because today I'm not joined by one special guest, but I have several special guests. So some of you know that my side hustle is as a media analyst for AdFontes Media, the creator of the uh, media bias chart, and I'm going to just show an example of that really quick here. So everybody who is uh, interested in the news has an opinion about the news and they definitely have opinions about where we place their favorite news sources on the chart. So you either love it or you hate it, right? Um, And so what I would like to do is um, I'm going to uh, step back for a moment and allow my fellow analysts to introduce themselves. Um, and really at this point, let's just kind of get your names. Rodell, I'm glad to see you have joined us. Hi, Rodell. Yes. And um, we do have our political leanings to the, the right of our name. That's just to help the audience understand, you know, that we do have a well-rounded group here. So, yeah, let's get started with some self-intros. Why don't we start with, with Roshan? I guess he doesn't want us to see his face. <laughs> But he's going to be a part of the podcast. Now, those of you who are watching live, we are live on LinkedIn and YouTube as well as Twitter. So if you are able to uh, make some comments, if you have questions for us throughout the show, please feel free to put your comments in there and um, we'll make you a a participant in the show. So, uh, yeah. So how about with Roshan, why don't you just real quickly introduce who you are, where are you calling from, and how long have you been a media analyst with AdFontes Media? Okay. Uh, as uh, Jenna said, my name is Roshan. I am calling uh, in from Cleveland, Ohio. It's where I uh, was born and raised and spent most of my life. And I believe I've been an analyst since the summer of 2019. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm trying to think of the same for me, I think it was that summertime training that maybe we were, maybe we were a part of that together. I can't remember. I think we were. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So welcome. Next, uh, Rodell, how about you just real quickly introduce yourself? Well, my name is Rodell Fields. I have been affiliated with AdFontes since the fall of 2020. I live in the Washington, D.C. suburbs, Springfield, Virginia. And I think you've already, uh, identified me, which I didn't do as a, as a left lane. Right. <laughs> the power I'm able to go in there and just kind of mix things. Yes. Uh, stream yard. All right, Aaron, how about you? Hello, my name is Aaron Fox Ramirez. I'm calling in from Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm a left lean and also a PhD student in media psychology. I have been with Fontes since October, 2020. 
Excellent. All right, Dan, you're muted. That's in case I clear my throat at the wrong time. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry about so, that. Uh, I'm uh, Dan Matson. I'm calling in from Brandon, Mississippi, which is not my home. Uh, we're on a, my wife and I are on a, on a month-long road trip. And so we're visiting in, in beautiful Mississippi where the, the plants grow tall. Um, so uh, what, oh, I started at the beginning first round, uh, 19, I think February of, I think it was February of 2019 when I had mm. the first training. Okay. Yeah. So we've all been here for at least a couple of years now. For myself, I, I started, I, I do believe it was with Roshan that, that summer of 2019 when I went through the training. Um, I'm calling in from Savannah, Georgia. My experience with AdFontes, though, as an analyst started in 2019, but I remember I saw Vanessa had put out the media bias chart online somewhere. And I remember I was teaching a class and I was online just looking for materials to talk about media literacy and just giving me a way to, you know, talk with the students about this very idea of, of bias and, and research. And, and I've stumbled upon her media bias chart and I got so excited. I sent her an email and I was like, I want to be a part of this. So that that's kind of how it started for me. Um, so with that, you know, all the rest of you, I'm interested in hearing how did you first find out about the media bias chart? Where did you see it? Well, I, I was, I saw the chart. I was aware of it. And, but somehow I got, I stumbled across an essay that, Vanessa wrote on CNN. Mm -hmm. That's what okay. threw me in because she had insights. I've been a long time CNN watcher, well, for quite a while, and I, it was something that bothered me. I didn't quite couldn't couldn't tell what it was that bothered me, but she identified it. Mm. So I said, "This this lady's got some deep thoughts here." So that when I got a chance to to join the, uh, with the first training, I, 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 I pony, I put in my application. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So CNN, CNN appearance. Rodell, what about you? Well, um, my exposure came about because one of my friends from law school, who was a Wall Street financier, uh, had heard of uh, Ad Fontes. Um, he had the information and he sent me the link. And I had no previous awareness of the media bias chart before that time. Mm -hmm. uh, needless to say, I've caught up substantially over the past year and a half. Uh, and, you know, my primary interest in this uh, is about two or threefold. First of all, I am an avid consumer of, uh, of news uh, to my detriment sometimes. And uh, at this stage of my life, uh, and uh, for the sake of full disclosure, in a couple of months, I'll be 72. I, I know I'm just a pup, Dan, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, at this point, uh, I'm striving to maintain as much cognitive ability as I possibly can. And this venture certainly uh, provides an opportunity for that because uh, you're forced to deal with current uh, affairs. Uh, and, you know, you're forced to be able to, you're forced to, to engage other analysts because, um, you know, 
needless to say, using our rating parameters, if you're within a certain level of points, you're okay. If you're not, you got to talk about it. And that exchange is, uh, it keeps you sharp. I mean, it, it keeps you engaged. Yeah, that's a great point you made uh, talking about, you know, having to really exercise the the brain to be able to, you know, think about these issues and, and listen to the other analysts and really be able to just create not even just a, I guess, maybe an, an argument, you know, in to explain how or why you view a certain news item a certain way. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's a great exercise in, in our mental faculties, if anything. Well, I've always had a modicum of self-awareness. Uh, you know, we're all, we all are biased. And uh, being involved with AFON has certainly made me identify my biases and uh, learn how to, the extent one can, <laughs> overcome them uh, to be a relatively uh, neutral observer and commenter. Um, well, I've certainly enjoyed the times that we've worked together. We've had some, we've had some really, really good conversations around some of these, these topics. So, and we're going to say more about that. Cause I, I think you're right. Being placed in a situation where you're able to talk these things out with people who have different political leanings from yourself, it really does help bring about an awareness of, of your own bias. Um, Aaron, what about you? When did you first learn about the media bias chart? What drew you to it? I think I found it through school. Uh, my previous career, I was a contracting officer for the government, and it was a really great job, but my heart wasn't in it. And I started, I went back to get my master's in media psychology, and I fell in love with how the media informs our world, social media. And I, I think I saw it on LinkedIn. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And then you go down that rabbit hole of research and then I looked at the chart and I went found the website and I just applied on a lark. I was like, this would be fun. Yeah. And <laughs> here we are today. And I'm not just an analyst, but I also am involved in like developing the team behind the scenes. And it's been really fulfilling. Like it, mm -hmm. I, I get so much back from it and I enjoy being a part of this project. Yeah, yeah. It's I think all of us, this is a great project to be a part of. And I think that's why it is such a great team when everybody believes in the mission. Um, it, it makes it easier, you know, to to do this job. Roshan, what about you? Where did you first see the media bias chart? So I had actually not heard of the media's media bias chart until I actually applied for the for oh. the position. Uh -huh. I uh, had actually come across a hearing about it in a newsletter about the media. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, a newsletter run by um, Steve Krakauer. And at the end of the new, like some newsletter, I think it was in July of uh, 2020, he said, Hey, by the way, there's this thing called Ad Fontes Media. And he, you know, he put up a sample of the media bias chart. And he said, You know, if you think they're making a mistake here, you can become an analyst yourself. And mm -hmm. so I think at the time, Vanessa had uh, put out a call for analysts. So I, I thought, you know, hey, why not? So I applied thinking, I think by the time I applied, I was actually past the deadline she had sent. So I, yeah. I figured I would never hear back from her, but I, I, I did. Yeah. And, uh, that's and how I got started. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know about you all, but one question that I'm asked pretty frequently is, so, so how do you get a job like that? I mean, 
they're paying you to read the news and then you tell them what you think about it <laughs> and they actually take your opinions and put it on the chart like how do you get a gig like that? They, I can't believe they're paying you to tell them what you think about these articles. Um, and and so one of my responses is, you know, usually you go down that, you know, that that long list of, well, you know, I've been in the communication field for thirty years and blah 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 blah, you know, and and that's I do want to give a, a few minutes for everybody to to address that because. I think it is important for anybody who's going to watch this later on, or if they're listening to this later on, to really understand that the training that goes into being an analyst on top of what we're already familiar with. I mean, all of us, we don't all come from the same backgrounds, but I think we all come from similar enough backgrounds where it's connected to research and writing and, you know, uh, media literacy, something like that. You know, I mean, for myself, I started out as a journalist and then I became an editor um, of a newspaper. This was all while I was serving in the Marine Corps. And then afterwards, my love for communication, I, I knew I wanted to stay in this field. So that's why I, I ended up going into um, communication. I got my bachelor's and my master's in it. Um, and now I'm in a PhD program for applied linguistics because I just love studying language and seeing how language just impacts everything, you know, that, that happens around it. So in my field, you know, it, and I also taught communication research and public speaking, you know, for a very long time at the college level. So I'm very much attached to research and writing and, and learning how to be a savvy consumer of communication, not only, you know, an effective communicator on that side, but how do we become more savvy communicators when we're receiving the messages, reading and listening to whatever it is that we're listening to. Um, so that's kind of my background with leading up to, you know, how, how do you get that kind of a gig? You know, so um, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what what is your actual background and, and connection? What are what are some of the skill sets and things that you have had to build on to, to do this job well? Well, I was an educator in L.A. Unified School District for 31 years. So the first half of my career, I was mostly a seventh grade English teacher. Uh, and I got into computer technology rather, rather early when it was coming into the, to the uh, public schools. And uh, it was almost an accident. Uh, I got a grant and, I didn't, and uh, they've trying to figure out, figure out who they could give these Macintosh computers to, but they didn't, nobody wanted them because nobody knew what they were. And I got five of them, the first model LLCs. And I took, I got to take one home, and uh, for me, the graphical user interface was transformative in teaching writing. Okay, that's one. Mm. But more more relevant to, to what the, your question is, that as I became a technology integrator, one of the key things I had to deal with was how you keep kids from going to the wrong place on the Internet. Mm. Now, we had mm. these filters, and the kids knew how to get, do, to get around them. And... Um, so teaching the proper under teaching students to evaluate media seemed to be mm. 
like a no-brainer. I mean, it seemed to be something that, that society had to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought a lot about uh, how you uh, teach people to, to evaluate what they're, what they're looking at. Are you a bookworm? How does unlimited reading sound? How about unlimited listening on any device? If that sounds good, then Kindle Unlimited might be something you want to check into. Sign up today and receive four months for $4.99. Yes, you heard that right. Four months for $4.99. Enjoy unlimited access to over 1 million titles. Browse magazines, listen to thousands of books, read or listen anywhere, and cancel anytime. Click on the link in the show notes to take advantage of this amazing offer. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought about that before I ran into this thing with Vanessa. And mm -hmm. so that's probably the, the hook. It's because, see, I was watching CNN. What I hadn't figured out was how they had all, all, the, all the cable networks do this. They blend opinion into analysis mm -hmm. to a, a degree which uh, undermines the delivery of information. And I mean, if you know that you're, if you know that you're being fed, you know, sardonic in, uh, opinion, well, you can kind of filter it out and, and, and think about the facts. Well, though, yeah, but yeah, that, that's funny, but what are they really talking about? You think you can filter it out. The trouble is it's actually quite difficult mm -hmm. to, when you have no external form, uh, 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 no external uh, point of reference, it's actually quite difficult to 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 sort that out. So what we've developed is a methodology for for doing that. I think it's I think it's really a, a very uh, transformative. I think it has uh, just our our methodology has a lot of purpose, a lot of usefulness in, in general, not just for. For, for what we use it for. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's definitely something that I want to have be a part of the conversation today, because I think that's something that a lot of listeners are wondering about, you know, how do we go about making the decisions that we're making, you know, when we're placing these certain sources, you know, um, on the media bias chart itself. Um, Aaron, you, you said a little bit about your, your background before, you know, answering this question, what qualifies you to, to be an analyst? Do you, can you expand on that a little bit? And what are some of those skills that you have found to be useful in, in being an analyst? Sure. I, I'll say that the, the one thing I like best about this process and the training that we go through is that it's iterative. Like it's something that's constantly evolving. Our opinions change where things fall on the spectrum change. So we've seen several outlets move over the last few years and things will continue to move. And it's, it's not set in stone. And I think my opinions have changed from the conversations that I've had with all of you. And I've always gotten a lot from that. I come from a contrarian family where we, we like to argue, you know, and it's, there's a congeniality behind it. And I felt like over the last several years that had been lost and it became, mm -hmm. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm good. You're evil. And I just don't believe that, you know? Yeah. And it is heartening to see, to work with this group when there's so much polarization out there and that's not what right. we're doing here. And that's what I believe mm -hmm. everyone is. And we just need to, 
spread that message. Yeah, I agree. And and that actually, Roshan, I'm going to get to you to to talk about what are your qualifications to to be an analyst and those the skill sets. But but before we do that, I, I just want to real quickly show that Karen is watching on LinkedIn and she's wondering about the letters that are behind our names. So yeah, you got it right. Left, right, center. Um, that's one of the things that we really um I think is a, a benefit of working with Ad Fontes is that you're working with others that have different political beliefs, you know, from yourself. And, and a lot of times though, I'll find that as we read through some of these articles, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're right lean or left lean or, you know, at the center, much of the time, I think we end up reading these articles pretty closely, you know? Um, and of course we get, you know, a little far apart depending on the topic and, and uh, depending on the source, you know, sometimes, but I think most of the time um, we're doing a really good job of being mindful of, of our own, you know, political ideologies and how that might have an impact on how we're reading these articles. Um, So good question, Karen. Thanks for, for asking that, noticing that. Roshan, what, with, with your background, um, you know, what are some of the things in your background, the skills that you've, you've had to develop to, that you think you're using that enables you to be an effective analyst? Uh, so my background is that I'm, I'm an attorney. So I think I, I kind of use those uh, analytical skills that you develop as an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit uh, in order to write articles. I go over this when we talk about persuasion, you know, in some of my communication classes, especially in public speaking classes. And we, we talk about the differences and if there's a question of fact, right. And how do you, how do you determine whether something is, is true or untrue? And then there's, you know, a, a question of value. So if you're arguing based on beliefs, right. Or a value system, that's going to be a much different you know, type of argument versus if, if it's a call to action. So now I'm trying to persuade you to actually do something, you know, as a result. So I, I think, yeah, the skills that you've had to develop as an, an attorney absolutely, you know, serves you well in, in this type of a, um, of, of a job that we have. Let's talk a little bit about, um, some of the, the benefits we've kind of gone into it a little bit, you know, with working together and getting different viewpoints besides those different viewpoints, you know, have, what has being an analyst done for you as far as developing your own ability to read the news and be a more savvy consumer, you know, of, of communication. How do you think that this has benefited you? Well, I guess I'll dive in first. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said before, I have always been a vociferous consumer of uh, various news products. And I always considered myself to be a relatively sophisticated consumer. But there is nothing like wider exposure to show you that you're not all that in a bag of chips, you know? <laughs> uh, as I indicated before, um, I'm uh, a pretty introspective person, and uh, for the most part, I've always been aware of my of my biases. However, uh, all of us have blind spots, and uh, mm-hmm. I have been introduced to my blind spots uh, through this <laughs> process. Uh, 
you know, a, a lot of our reactions tend to be sort of reflexive or knee-jerk reactions when certain things come up. Mm-hmm. And your initial um, response will be, well, it's this or not that or whatever. And then you have someone who has different life experiences, a different perspective, different ideology, and they are able to point out a different way of thinking. <clears throat> Essentially, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a walking empath, okay? I, I'm just everything smart. I, I identify with a lot of different people, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of different people who could care less about me as a human being. <laughs> I understand exactly where they're coming from. And you know what? I sort of feel sorry for them because <clears throat> the price of satisfying them is my humanity. And that's too mm-hmm. high a price to pay. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, we have to sort of work something else out when it comes to that. Just in terms of bias, you know, we, we all go in this with a certain preconceived notion of, of how things are, whatever. But again, you know, you're confronted with folks who have different life experiences and you have to find a way of reconciling that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that that people of goodwill you know, people um, who have a certain amount of intellectual curiosity are able to do it. <clears throat> and, uh, to paraphrase Benjamin Franklin, um, he basically is something akin to an informed electorate is a prerequisite for a democratic republic. Sort of see how well we're doing with that one, right? Right. Yeah. It's a challenge. So, so anything that I can do in order to help people um become better consumers of news to help people identify when they're being manipulated and sort of pushed to a particular point of view. I look at stuff and a lot of the things I look at, I might agree with, but I know it's biased. I know it's slanted and I can, and I can acknowledge that. Um, when I am confronted with information <clears throat> from sources that I don't think very highly of, I am basically forced to allow discretion to be the better part of valor and to to give them more consideration, not less, but more consideration to make sure that I'm not allowing my biases to adversely affect. Yeah. That's uh, such a great point. I want to jump on something Rodell said, which is uh, he referred to goodwill. Is that mm-hmm. One of the things that working in a team does is it develops a sense of goodwill. I mean, you... You're looking at this person, or, or in the case of Roshan, looking at his name. But you're, you're working directly with these people, and 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 you have to care about what they feel as well as what mm-hmm. they think. And so, it forces you to uh, to give them a little more space. It forces you to re rethink. Some of us, especially uh, some of us men, we like to, when we're listening to the other person, we're already making our counter-argument without mm-hmm. listening to them really well. Well, you can't do that in Advantas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you do, you get called on it. So, yeah, there's, yeah, the, the you know, when we read through these articles and, and like, Rodell was saying, you know, there, there might be a, a certain topic or there's a certain source. We already have this preconceived notion of what we think, <laughs> yeah. right? 
this topic or, the, or this source, but we do have to, and to your point, Dan, we have to temper that. And um, it's okay to, to read through the article and, you know, there's no way we're going to completely get to the point where we can read articles without any type of emotion whatsoever, you know, mm-hmm. but, but if we say, Hey, I, I feel that this article is slanting this certain way, or if I feel that this article is kind of, you know, it's, it's misleading, that's not good enough, you know? Right. And that's to your point is, okay, if you're feeling that this is misleading in some way, we need to be able to point exactly, exactly. to yeah. that phrase or the word that's being used, where in this article can you show me that there is actually an attempt to actively mislead, you know, the reader, where, where are you getting from? Vanessa goes back to that again and again, show, mm-hmm. prove, sh- right. quote something, especially yeah. in a difficult article, put it down, mm-hmm. show why you, 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 you give it, gave it this, you know, more extreme rating. You've got to justify extreme ratings. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, Aaron. Me. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I forget this point, which I, forgot earlier, (laughs) you know, about 90% of the articles that we look at, people are able to review them in a relatively calm, objective way. And and, and basically Mm -hmm. there there is is really no severe pushback. Mm -hmm. The problem comes with those areas where people are ideologically or emotionally committed one way or another. And all Mm -hmm. of us have all of us have these triggers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked, well, Aaron, because we're both left, so I haven't worked with you. But all of all of the rest of you have, have worked with me. So you have a pretty good idea of who I am. And, and Dan, you put your finger on the whole thing earlier. There has to be an element of trust with analysts. You know, you have to believe that the person that you're working with is coming from a place of goodwill. Because otherwise, it's not going to work. <laughs> if you think that the person that you have, you know, has an ulterior motive, or if they're so ideologically wedded to their point of view that they can't be persuaded, then it's extraordinarily problematic. Yeah, it makes it difficult. And I think that's to Erin's point earlier when she was saying, you know, I, I, I think most people do want to have to be able to have conversations like this, right. To be open to these types of conversations. And, and I don't know, in in some way, maybe we need to, you know, maybe this will serve as an example of where to begin to be able to have those conversations. Um, Aaron, what, what do you think about that? What kind of advice would you give to listeners who are on that struggle bus because it's easy to get on that struggle bus when we read certain articles. <laughs> it's like, you want me to try to mitigate my own bias about this? Like how how is that, you know, how how do I do that? So why don't you talk about, you know, some of the things that 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 we talk about, you know, in terms of um not necessarily the methodology, but just your own value systems and, and how you believe that we're probably pretty much the same, most people, you know, in, in that belief. Yeah, well, I'm not going to get into the methodology, but I do want to point to it and say that the process that we go through by pointing to the text, by looking at the words, mm-hmm. the use of adjectives, uh, by looking at it that way and not at this as the speaker, because mm-hmm. your initial reaction when you see someone who's the opposite belief system of you or political leaning mm-hmm. is to, you know, put your wall up. 
And Mm -hmm. what um, Rodell and Dan both touched on was that they said, you need to, you need to listen to, to hear, not listen to respond. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. the initial reaction. Be like, I'm already creating a counter argument, but are you even listening to the argument that's being made to you? Right. So it's active listening. It's taking that pause to really consider what's been said or written and think about it in a good faith way. Like what are the pros and cons of it? And why do I disagree with that position? It's the Amazon you love, but for work. Make workplace procurement easier with convenient delivery options, simplified purchasing workflows, multiple payment options, and a competitive marketplace with business-only pricing and quantity discounts. Anyone who makes purchases for work like procurement specialists, office administration, IT departments, for example, can create a free account for their business. Create your free business account today by clicking on the link in the show notes. Yeah. Listening to understand. That's such an important thing. And Karen actually has a follow-up question and Roshan, I think I would, I would like for you to, to address this. Um, she says, so no discussion on facts, just the slant of the article. How do you account for fake news? Um, we do uh, discussion of, of the facts is actually a huge part of, of our conversation. So Roshan, if, if you don't mind, um, can you take us through what are what are some of the things? Because I know in your lawyer brain, you are definitely in tune, right, to to the facts as as you can find them, you know, in the article. So, what are some of the things that that you're doing as you're reading through the news to try to discern facts from fiction and facts from opinions, you know? Um, and we'll address the fake news thing here in just a second as well. Well, I guess in terms of facts from fiction, if we uh, sort of see something that uh, to us seems, you know, is that really right? We we can go ahead and look it up while we're rating the article. And, um, you know, that's something usually at least one, one of the analysts of the three will might point it out, you know. But, or, or as we're, we're doing these uh, rating sessions in Zoom, they'll, they'll put something in chat while they're rating. Hey, mm-hmm. did you see this? So I, I think uh, fact from fiction, I think we, we do a pretty good job of um, differentiating. In terms of like, say, facts from opinion, um, you know, I think on a more politically charged topic that, that may cause a little bit more friction based mm-hmm. on the topic where um, if you're reading a, sort of a, a, a left-leaning article, a right-leaning person may think that that's more opinion, but a left-leaning person may think, hey, that's more analysis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's true. Right. Yeah. There, there is there there might be some tension there, but I, I think generally we can um, get to sort of an acceptable range where we're, we're not too far apart from each other, and then we, we sort of just average our scores. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point that you brought up that while we're in these sessions, and and by the way, if anybody, you know, isn't familiar with it, when we meet, we meet in a pod, and we always have a balance of a right lean, left lean, and a center lean. And we meet live on Zoom, and we we have the articles that, that we're supposed to read during our shift, and we read them together. So not 
not on the screen together, but we read the articles and then we rate them individually. And then we look at our scores together and then have that conversation around those. And, and Roshan's right. Sometimes, you know, if you're reading something that could be questionable or you're not quite sure about the validity of the information in it, then we go on, on a hunt and we basically do what we hope a lot of other people would be willing to do is just take the time to look up, you know, the information and see how it pans out as compared to, you know, other sources that are also reporting on that same thing. But, you know, and to that point, though, and this will be something I'm sure that's going to come up at some point, just because other sources are uh, reporting the same thing doesn't mean that it's not necessarily still debatable, right? Um, we've had plenty of examples where, I mean, even as a team, we're having to go back and re-rate certain articles because we're finding out later on that things that were said to be not true um, turning out to be true, you know? So that's another challenge, I think. Um, so, what do y'all think about about that aspect of of our job? You know, we do the best that we can to try to discern, you know, what's factual and what's probably true, you know, at the moment. Um, but it can be really challenging, you know, in the climate that it's in because clearly there is, you know, we have we've seen it left leaning media and then right leaning media, and somewhere along the way we've got to try to figure out somewhere in there where the truth lies. Um, well, well, that's one of the coolest things about what we do. And, and uh, just to give people that haven't done and seen how we do it a little, uh, the, one of the fun parts, at least it is for me, there's a certain competitive aspect. You know how Roshan said, well, sometimes one analyst will go out like a, like a bird dog yeah. looking at trying to <laughs> look what to, I found. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, and so if one analyst catches something that the other two didn't see, ooh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, you got, then you got busted. And, yeah. uh, and then if the other one can find something and, and the other two didn't even know enough to look for it, you know, right. then the, the guy the, or the person who, who find, finds the extra facts gets a, a good chuckle. And so there's, there's a certain level of competitiveness in, in the, in the, in in the whole dialogue thing that mm-hmm. Roshan refers to, he's absolutely right that that the that when you're reading something you agree with, you tend to see it as anal- analysis, and when you read mm-hmm. something you don't agree with, you tend to see it as opinion, and and mm-hmm. and that's because that that analysis results in conclusions, or it can. Mm-hmm. And and then what's the difference between a conclusion of analysis and an opinion? Well, they're not that far apart. So we're dealing with mushy, a mushy aspect of, of human rationality and, and language. And I just think as a former English teacher, it is really fun to do that. It's challenging and uh, it's fun. And, you know, the funny thing about that is, you know, the, the one analyst that might have a different uh, rating from the other two analysts, 
a lot of times it's not the right and the left that are far apart. You know, I've been in sessions where, you know, like Aaron and I are looking at this as right and left and we see it exactly the same. And then the center is the one that's kind of, you know, off, off out in, in the field somewhere, you know, and maybe they saw something that we weren't able to see. And so if you are that person you know, but to that point, if you are the person that's kind of out there on your own, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not seeing something, you know, um, that the other two are seeing. Maybe you are seeing something that the other two are not seeing, you know, and, and vice versa. So sometimes it, it really it, does keep us on our toes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're seeing something they didn't see. I'm speaking as mm-hmm. one guy who's out, out off, off the road you know, separate sometimes, sometimes I'm just wrong. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the yeah. thing is that, that, uh, that my fellows will correct me and, mm-hmm. and I have, I'm, I'm obligated to, to listen to them, consider the rubric that we're dealing from, uh, dealing right. with and, and correct myself. It's, it's a process. That's a that's a good um, transition to come up this next question. Chad is watching on YouTube and he says when distinguishing between opinion and fact in the ad Fontes system are opinions judged on some qualitative or quantitative basis. So who would like to explain our our methodology? Because Chad, we do have a methodology. So yeah, it's it's not just, hey, I, I feel like this. And you know, we we do have a, a system in place so that we can try to be as consistent as possible, you know, when we are rating these articles. So who who would like to address that question regarding well, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll start off with this. Mm-hmm. When I am looking at opinions particularly opinions that I find problematic or I don't agree with, what I do is I look at the opinion as it is reflected and I see how that opinion is supported. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> if it is supported by rational arguments, whether I agree with them or not, but if they're supported by rational arguments, they're going to be rated higher than somebody who just says, you know, um, all black people are ignorant and they're beyond redemption. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You don't see anything else. Well, obviously that's an opinion, but it's not very well supported other than your own bias. Right. So, so the extent to which you can provide supportive information that one could reasonably conclude is fair, you know, not balanced, but, but, but fair and, and inserted any, any fair cohesive argument then that opinion is going to have a higher rating than somebody who's just talking off the top of their heads. Yeah. Yeah. You can have an informed opinion versus just kind of talking. I'm just blathering about, you know, my, my biased opinions and there's absolutely nothing that I can provide that's going to help support, you know, if, if I'm making an argument, you know, it's one thing to make an argument and you have evidence and you're trying to use sound judgment to support those arguments, you know, versus just like with, with your example, Rodell, um, there's no way to, to really support that. Um, who well, would the, like to talk about the, um, go ahead, Dan. Well, I have to tell you that Chad's my brother-in-law. I, I, I clued him into our, our broadcast. Yeah. Uh, so I just want, I'll, Chad, I'll just say one, one, one thing in the early part of your question, it's really a two-part question, uh, facts mm-hmm. from opinions. It's not so hard to tell facts from opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, then then the, whether or not the facts are 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 valid or not is another matter. But a fact is 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 a, is a really a semantic ver- uh, uh, way you judge a fact from an opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's it is, uh, and I'll just make that point. There's some other points I could make, but uh, Jen, you want to move it argument uh, discussion along? Okay. <laughs> well, actually, it is a good time because we do have another question um, on YouTube that came up from David. How has your experience and training as an analyst helped you to reduce the polarizations of views that you experience in your daily life? That's such a great question. Who would like to address that? I could start with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been very helpful to me. Like Rodell mentioned, he lives in the Washington, D.C. area. I am born and raised in that area. It is it is very liberal. And I do, as a left-wing, you can see from my name, I do have liberal beliefs. but. Mm-hmm. I think given being in that bubble and the people I was surrounded with, I was never really exposed to the the good, the solid argument based in fact and opinion and why they think their position is better than my position. And what has really allowed me to do is have, I think, better friendships with people who see things differently than me. We can engage on uh, the quality of the argument and not just pundit talking points that you'll hear on headlines and see Mm -hmm. on the news. Um, It just really made me have a lot more compassion and empathy for people who think differently than I do because they're not bad people. They just have different value system that they base those beliefs on. Right. And I think we've been able to develop an understanding, you know, just by even looking at our chart, when you, when you meet someone and they tell you, I mean, they're getting 100% of their news is from that one organization that we know is way to the right of the chart or way to the left of the chart, that gives us some insight as to, you know, well, of course, they're, this is their argument or their belief, because they're not really tapping into a lot of the other sources that are out there to give a, a more, you know, I guess a, a better rounded, you know, understanding of the topics that it is that we talk about. Um, yeah. To that point, I found several sources from the rating that are right lanes that I love to listen to even more than some yeah. of my left lane podcasts. So yeah. that's been also very helpful for me. Yeah. What an interesting thing to to happen, right? Oh, we can listen to to each other's stuff. I mean, and for me it's it's the same. I think that's you know, it really has broadened my understanding in in when I have conversations now. Um I am definitely trying to be more in tune into listening to understand versus listening to just create my argument, you know, and waiting for my turn to talk. It's a much different <laughs> no type of, of communication that happens. Um, absolutely. Anybody else want to talk about how, how this has helped reduce your, your polarizations of views that, that you experience in your daily life? Well, unfortunately in our society, everything and everybody has been commoditized mm-hmm. and, the problem is, in terms of media products, you know, we've all been sectioned off in one part or another. Um, I used to look at <clears throat> cable opinion uh, programming, <clears throat> I wouldn't say incessantly, <laughs> but a lot. And I found the quality of my life <clears throat> declining. I, I felt, you know, it's like you depress all of it. You know, like when you're hammered, you know, like 12 hours a day from one program to another, and, you know, they all have uh, 
talking points or whatever. And, and let me put it this way. And, and I'm, I'm sort of being somewhat pejorative. But, you know, I don't want Rachel Maddow telling me what to think anymore. And I want Tucker Carlson telling me what to think, you yeah. know. Yeah. And <clears throat> so so basically what this has done for me is to uh, try to identify points that we have in common with each other and try to build on those and hopefully uh, build a higher degree of trust. Because if we don't, you know, as a society and a culture, we're doomed. Hey there, listener. One final question, because we are getting close to the end of this episode. Are you enjoying the content we provide at the Communication 24-7 podcast? If so, thank you. I'd also like to ask for your help and share our episodes on your networks. The more downloads we get, the more popular the show becomes, and the more opportunities for getting some sponsors. So yeah, that's it. That's the commercial. What you just said is so important, though. You know, I don't want Rachel Maddow telling me what to think about something any more than I want Tucker Carlson telling me how to think about something. And I think that that is probably if there is one thing that anybody can take away from this conversation is it's that, you know, be willing to read across the line and be willing to um, have have your ideas, you know, have your understanding of what you think about a certain topic, be willing to be challenged, you know, and, and, and listen to what you normally wouldn't listen to or watch what you normally wouldn't watch or read. And then, you know, then you can make a, a, a better informed, you know, decision about those topics. But yes, I don't want anybody telling me what to think about, you know, any, any type of topic as well. Um, and I think that goes into another debate that, you know, is pretty hot right now is the whole, you know, First Amendment with social media. And, you know, if we have certain news sources that we believe are too offensive or they're not, you know, sharing the type of story that we want them to share, should they should they be allowed, you know, on, on this media platform? I mean, that's like a whole case of worms that we would need an entire uh, another hour, you know, to address that question. I that'll that'll be in did. part two. <laughs> it did. It, it'll be uh -huh. more like it'll be more like a week than an hour. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll we'll mm. have to do an entire series just on on that topic alone. Um, but yeah, Roshan, what do you think about this question? The the how it's helped you reduce the polarizations of, of views that you've experienced in in your daily life. So I think I'm going to be a bit of an outlier on this response. Mm -hmm. I, I um, uh, live in the uh, bluest part of a what is becoming sort of now become a red state. Mm -hmm. And I've pretty much lived here my whole life. And even in my own family, we're, we're kind of split ideologically. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like what, what I do now with that font is, is not all that different from uh, what I would do with, you know, friends at the bar or family at mm -hmm. the dinner table. It's just, we now sort of have the construct of the, an article to evaluate, uh, to then sort of put our, uh, arguments upon. Right. So I, I feel like, uh, I, and another thing is I am not on social media. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not really sure that I, uh, see these 
negative uh, aspects of polarization that I think have, um, I think really affected a lot of people uh, in a bad way. So, I mean, I, and I think that's the reason why I stay off social media. So that's actually not a bad, that's not a bad thing <laughs> because I think you're, you're right with, with social media. Some of these news stories just spread like wildfire. And by the time they are able to kind of take a step back and do the actual journalism thing and actually check, you know, to make sure that what they're putting out there is, is accurate. It has already hit, you know, everybody's uh, wall. So um, it's like, you know, once, once you've squirted toothpaste out of the, the tube, you can't put it back in. It's just, you know, it's impossible to, to do that. So it's a really challenging thing. And, um, you know, one of my hopes for, for having talks like this and bringing in analysts from, from Adfantes is to be able to just be a model for others in our country, because we know the polarization is bad and we know that the, dis there are no, not really any discussions, you know, I mean, it's people talking at each other, those talking points, you know, that, that we see from the talking heads, you know, and, um, for me personally, it's just really, dis it's really disappointing, you know, and, and I do worry about it. It, I find it worrisome to the point where I want to be able to figure out a way where we can have, you know, some type of a, a national conversation where people just learn how to have a, a discussion again. I think in many ways we've forgotten how to have, you know, a, a discussion. So this is, this is incredibly helpful. Um, we have about eight minutes left of our hour. Um, is there anything that anybody would like to point out to the listeners regarding what, what you have experienced as an analyst, whether it's a, a personal challenge that you're continuing to, to try to address, or, or maybe there's just something you haven't had a chance to say yet that, you know, being an analyst has really helped you, you know, in, in some way, or, Maybe there's a lesson learned, you know, that you would like to share. Well, I'll share something about being a centrist. Um, mm -hmm. I, I get extra time since I'm the only centrist, right? <laughs> um, Dan, Dan, we everybody agreed that you absolutely would be able to take up for not having another centrist. So not a problem there. <laughs> so when I got, when when you get drafted or when you get accepted into being an analyst, there, there's a there's a questionnaire that's the purpose of which is to determine what your lean is, mm -hmm. and and then uh, I was in the early stages there, and I declared myself a center, uh, a left of center left or left of center 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 leaning uh, liberal, and um, and though and that erosion told me many times he thought I was an undercover liberal. <laughs> 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 I was fault flying a false flag but uh but i tell you what being as uh, identified centrist has done for me is it has challenged me to to examine the the ideology ideology of the left and the right and that's oversimplification of course because there's many lefts and numerous lefts and numerous rights but anyway to look at at, at more ideological positions and 
divine where there is actual uh, value in those positions and where that and some of those positions that that are like that they're, they're, they're dead ends. So mm-hmm. I, ideologues, the ideologies have purpose. They, they, they give coherence to a set of ideas. And there's always a core in that, in any ideology that has value. But mm-hmm. then other things get added to the ideology that, that, that are, are worthless or, or maybe even counterproductive. So as a centrist, I, I like to think I can see like x-ray vision to see the, mm-hmm. the flaws in other people. But as our leader Vanessa reminded me that, uh, that centers are, are biased too. And, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing I've learned is that there's a certain bias in being in the middle. You, um, your bias is the temptation to want to shoot people on both sides and right. to prove that right. you're in the center. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, and, and there's also, uh, but the other thing, and I'll close with this, the other thing that I've found out by being a centrist is that I'm really a classic liberal. And that, mm-hmm. that, actually, that actually goes, uh, spans from the never Trump Republicans over to the, the, uh, the, uh, the center, the centrist like, say, Spanberger in the Democratic Party. That's a, a fairly, that's not, single position it's a span right, right. but but it, it it has identifying features the the, the mm-hmm. classic liberal does and so the being a center in Adfontis has really helped me clarify what i believe and what i don't believe and made me more mm-hmm. more uh uh willing to call out people i that i, I that, that i don't when, when i don't agree with them so yeah it's been, yeah it's been it's been really a great great experience for me and and plus my writing is better so right yeah I'm, i mean as a you know i'm i'm a core conservative that's you know what i would consider myself and and as a core conservative i find myself i get really upset with a lot of the right leaning sources when i i feel like okay come on you know this is there is a way to create this argument without you know with without using logical fallacies and without, you know, reaching into, you know, uh, without trying to manipulate your readers. Um, you know, you can, you can make a good argument without, you can persuade without trying to manipulate by using, you know, those, those types of logical fallacies. So in many ways, I, I think sometimes I'm even, um, a little more stringent when I'm reading right-leaning articles, you know, than I am on the other side, because I, I feel like I would like to see higher, uh, I, I have higher expectations, you know, I, I demand higher expectations from that. And when I see that not happening, I find it to be very, very upsetting. That's a great, that's a great point of demanding higher expectations, uh, higher, ex- there's higher expectations. So when I tell my friends, well, look, the, the, uh, the headline is misleading. It doesn't go with the text. And they look at, they ask, what are you crazy or something? It doesn't matter. And then I have to explain to them why it matters. And I feel all virtuous. And, it does and matter. They, yeah. they think that I'm, I'm some and Now you're, a, you're preaching, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, stated, pardon me, uh, stated differently. It's really a sad day when you wake up and you find that your friends are just as jacked up as your enemies are. <laughs> <laughs> 
because, uh, because, of, because at the end of the day, what you're talking about is human nature, okay? Right. Uh, right. So the issue orientation, your political identity is one thing, but at the bottom is human nature. And you know what? As a person who's left oriented, I understand complaints about the nanny state. I understand the thing about identity politics uh, taken to, to an extreme. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and there is a tendency to compartmentalize things to uh, basically uh, too small a unit, okay? Uh, and we, we make friends out of people who are otherwise allies mm -hmm. because, you know, we, we challenge them. You know, sometimes, you know, people are not being venal. Sometimes people are not being malevolent. Sometimes they just don't know. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you inform them and they still are someplace else, that's, a, that's another problem. But to automatically assume bad faith is a big problem in our society right, right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that was to Aaron's point as well earlier, you know, having having those negative assumptions, let's be open, open for a dialogue and, and open to listen and, and learn about each other. Um, okay, folks, we are going to have to have a part two because there are a ton of other things that I think we, we can talk about. And I think we probably should talk about, you know, have it be a part of the conversation. Um, cause what we do, number one, I think is super cool. And you know, I think it's important. And, um, I, I think, you know, for us to continue having these conversations as a way to model, for others, you know, the type of work that goes into, into being able to have these conversations, you know, at the end of the day, I th it is a skill. I always, you know, in communication, I I'm always saying it's a skill, just like any other skill, you got to work at it to get good at it. Um, but in order to work at it, we got to know the tools that we can use, right. In, in order to, to become more effective at that craft. So, um, I, I thank all of you for willing to come on to the, the show and share your experiences and, and your opinions about this. I think all of us agree that we, we believe in Ad Fontes. We believe in what, you know, the mission is and, and the values. We all hold the same values. And even though we come from different political leanings at the end of the day, we all do share that value and that we just want to make sure that, you know, as we have dialogues that, you know, people can have those, those types of discussions. And at the end of the day, we might still disagree, you know, and that's okay. I'm not, we're not going to hate each other for it. Right. <laughs> and start calling names and all of that. So any parting words from anybody before we, we end. Well, just a quick thing, Dan, uh, mm -hmm. if there was only going to be one uh, center analyst, you were the guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you dan for for agreeing to dan was was like a he was very gracious in being that last minute you know an addition so that's a lot of pressure like what he didn't have a, a lot of time to think about this so i appreciate you dan hey, hey, hey jen hey jen dan uh -huh. thinks about this all the time okay <laughs> i know we all we all <laughs> Dan is like, this is my life. <laughs> and look, Sarah, Sarah's watching on LinkedIn. She said, great conversation. Thanks, Sarah. And uh, Tom Jackson, excellent discussion. Thank you. Thanks for watching, Tom. Okay, so this won't be our last conversation on this. Stay tuned. With much more to come. Wait for part two. Thanks, everybody, for, for attending. And I'll chat at you soon. Okay, Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Jen.
Thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Also, you can now buy some Communication 24-7 swag. Yes! Please go to our website and spell the numbers out, www.communication247.com. Buy some merch, submit a pic to me, and I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Remember to follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also subscribe to the Communication 24-7 podcast YouTube channel to find out when our next edition of Unscripted is being live streamed. Watch during the live stream and participate by making comments and asking questions. Till then, take care.